forever. You can't be impeached and you can't be elected. You reign forever and you are a good God. Father, we thank you for that reminder. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. So God, today, I just pray, speak to our hearts. Thank you for speaking to us this morning through Pastor Carter about that cry that's deep in our hearts, Lord God, running to that cry, feeling that cry. And God, thank you for using Greg and the choir to remind us that you do reign forever, Lord God. And so God, in these next few moments, let the word begin just to dig down deep in our hearts. That Father, when we leave this place today, that no one's going to say, what a great choir, what a great church, what a great message. They're going to say, what a great God. That's what they're going to say today. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. A few weeks ago, I shared a thought I want to just share with you that God began to burden upon my heart even getting us ready for Tuesday night as 206 nations will come together for the prayer meeting this Tuesday night. I had a young man come to me and wait right after service. I've never seen him before. I think he came with a visiting family. He was visiting for the first time. And his words to me were this. I came to church today for the first time. I'm an atheist, but today I believe that there's a God. And folks, all I did was I shared, he heard that day, stories about God that day. That's all he heard. I asked the young man, I said, how old are you? This is the part that began to become a little bit emotional to me. He said, I'm 12 years old. I have a 12-year-old daughter, and just the thought of even thinking that my little Lauren Gwendolyn, who's named after Gwen Wilkerson, just the thought that my daughter would say there is no God, I couldn't even fathom that. And I asked the boy, I just said, tell me, what turned you into an atheist? He said, between teachers at my school and watching YouTube videos, I began to realize that God doesn't exist until today. And then I started to realize that one God story is enough to change an atheist. Uh, let me say it to you this way. One well-told God story can take a locked door of atheism off its hinges and free a student from a dead-end worldview. Just one God story, a miracle story, all of a sudden began to take the door off the hinges. And that's why today, that's what I want us to begin to see today. I want to talk to you about a story in the book of Acts that started a prayer meeting and shook a house. And I want to take you on a journey today because I think this is so important because I believe we have to tell God's stories today of what he has done inside of our lives. We do. We have to be vocal with these stories. And it's not because you don't believe in prayer, but these stories are important to the next generation that's going to be praying on Tuesday nights. It's going to be important for them to hear that God does answer prayer because I'm starting to realize if you haven't, I'll just let you know, we're getting old Seriously, I, 
And if you don't have children, then you don't know well. But I know I have four teenagers or three teenagers and a 12-year-old. And they remind me constantly that I am an old guy. And so just so you know, I'm helping you that you are old. And so we have to get the next generation praying so they understand God does answer prayer. That's what we have to realize. Now, I mean, think about it, because some of you don't realize you're old, and I was just thinking, I want to help you to come to that standpoint, just, just for a moment. I read this, that how do you know when you're getting old? Number one, when you know your pharmacist by his first name, you're getting old. Number two, your knees buckle, but your belt doesn't. That's when you're getting old. Pastor Carter, I thought of you on this one. You can't stretch in the morning without groaning. <laughs> he said, yes. You know you're getting old when your birthday candles cost more than your cake. <laughs> and finally, you know you're getting old when you hear your favorite songs only on elevators. Now, understand something of why we need to tell these God stories. We need to learn again because there is a generation coming up that we have to tell true God stories. Every good Jewish family from the Old Testament had to tell the story. It wasn't a tradition, get this, it was a command for those fathers to tell their son's stories. It was a command. It wasn't even something that they did that they, they thought they can do optionally. They were commanded to tell their children three stories and I want you to jot them down. I'll give you what, because I think this should be the content of our God stories that our children, our grandchildren need to begin to hear. Those three stories that they had to tell their children, one had to deal with protection, one had to deal with direction, and the other had to deal with instruction. Jot those three words down. One had to deal with protection, the second one had to deal with direction, and the third one had to deal with instruction. Let me tell you the first one. The first one that deals with protection they had to tell their children about Passover night in Exodus chapter 12. Listen to this verse in Exodus 12, 25. When you enter into the land, which God will give you as he promised, keep doing this, meaning the Passover meal. Now listen to this. And when your children say to you, why are we doing this? You tell them it's the Passover sacrifice to God who passed over our homes to the, of the Israelites in Egypt when he began to come and visit Egypt with an angel of death. What he was saying to them was this. You tell them that when they ask about Passover night, that God protected us on that 10th plague. That if we put the blood of the lamb upon our doorposts, that our home would experience the protection of God. That no matter what was happening around us, no matter what disease, plague was coming from China or overseas, it doesn't matter if we're walking with God. I believe in the words, listen, of George Whitfield, the great evangelist, who said this, I'm immortal until God calls me home. And so he said, tell the story on how you were protected. Tell the story that when everything else around you was howling and wailing, you felt safe under the blood of Jesus Christ on that night. Tell the story of protection. Then he says, tell the story of direction, which is the crossing of the Jordan. That's Joshua 4. Listen to these words in Joshua 4.21. And then he told the people of Israel in the days to come, when your children ask their fathers, 
what are these stones that they pulled out of the Jordan doing here? Tell your children this Israel, that Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry ground. Yes, God dried up the Jordan water for you until you had crossed, just as God did it at the Red Sea, which he dried up before until we had crossed here. This is so that everybody on earth would recognize how strong God's rescuing hand is and that you would hold to God in reverence always. What he said was this, that he's not only the God that can protect you when no matter what's happening around you, he's also the God that can direct you that when it seems there is no way, God can open up a way no matter where you are. He says, tell your children that God can direct you. When it seems that you, you don't know what to do, God will find a way to open up a door to show you this is the way to walk in it. But he's not just the God of protection and direction, but I want you to jot this down because I think this is one of the most important ones that we can understand today. He says, don't just tell them about the Passover. Don't just tell them about the crossing of the Jordan. Jot this down. The third thing, he says, tell them where the Ten Commandments and the law comes from. This is an important one because we live in a society that Pastor Carter talked about that is redefining words for us today. Listen to what he says. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20. He says, the next time your child asks you, what do these requirements and regulations that God has commanded mean? He said, tell your children, we used to be slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And God powerfully intervened and got us out of that country. We stood there and watched as God delivered miraculous signs, great wonders, and visitations on Egypt. And he pulled us out of there so he could bring us into this new land. And then it says this, that's why God commanded us to follow these rules so that we would live reverently before God as he gives us this new life in front of us. We're living in a society that's redefining everything and trying to upend what God gave to us and says that my truth, get this down now, that truth doesn't have an expiration date. That it's not governed by what a government decides or by what a majority decides. It's governed by what a truth-telling, God-living forever, reigning forevermore, God tells us this is the way that you should live life. I mean, over right now, down under, as they're finishing up the Australian Open, there is a giant controversy because the woman that won the most major titles in all of tennis, Margaret Court, is a Christian. And because she said something that God says in the Bible, everybody's protesting against her because they're going on what the majority says and she's going on what God says. And everybody in Australia is up in arms that the, that the woman preacher, Margaret Court, who has beaten every woman's record in tennis, has said, this is what God has said. And we have a mandate to our children to say that God can protect, God can direct, and God can instruct us on how to live life to its fullest. He says, tell those stories about Mount Sinai. Tell the stories of crossing a Jordan. Tell the story on that night on Passover. But because, and this is why this is so important, these fathers told those stories because stories connect you, get this church, to something larger. A people with a godly heritage, even like Times Square Church, have a sense to where they are going because they have seen the hand of God in the past. But there is a huge problem in our country today. Think about this for a moment. Brand new study that just came out that the average father 
talks to their children four and a half minutes a week. That's the new study. 37 seconds a day. 2.7 interactions. How was school? Good. Did you do your homework? Good. Go, go, and, clean the, go and clean your room. And that's it. Stop watching TV. Do you have homework? Go do this. Make sure you go to bed. That's their interaction. Four and a half minutes. How can we tell stories of what God has done if we're not even interacting with our children? If we're not even beginning to get, that's one of the things that I have to make sure I have been so blessed with a godly heritage. So we do tell stories in our house. We find it around the dinner table that will tell those God stories of what he has done. And I grew up in a home that my dad has told stories. I, many of you know that my dad was, was the police officer in the cross on a switchblade. So we would hear the stories of what God had did with brother Dave when he first came to New York City. And I would tell them, kids, all the stories. They've heard everything about my Italian New York City cop dad. I tell them all the time. I said, way before there was Craigslist, way before there was eBay, there was Friday night trash pickup. I said, that's where we got all of our bicycles. We didn't buy them on eBay. We didn't buy them on Craigslist. We got them from the garbage. How many know what I'm talking about? That's where you got it. We didn't sell them. We went around picking garbage. My, I would tell them, I said, be thankful. I'll never forget my dad beginning even to remind me. And I said, my son came home from college um, two weeks ago. And he just, and he looked at this bread and he goes, there's, there's green spots, dad, on the loaf of bread in your house. And, and I just went all Paul Delina on them. I said, that's not mold, that's penicillin. Eat that. That's what I was told. I don't know if that's even healthy, but that's what my dad would tell me to do all the time. He says it'll make you healthier. And I would hear the stories of what God would do. I would hear the stories. And here at TSC, I think to myself, how many here are first generation Christians that need to hear what God is able to do? that need to hear the stories of what God is able to accomplish, that God can. Because we need to hear godly stories that not just inform, but inflame our hearts to know that God is able to do great things. And that's why I know with the burden that Pastor Carter is carrying for prayer and a praying church and a praying nation, I want to tell you a story tonight that started a prayer meeting, shook a house, and something powerful happened. Let me read it to you. Peter and John have just gotten out of prison and, from, and started in Acts 3. And in Acts 4, they show up to a small gathering. In a sense, their small group, they show up and told the story of what happened. And what takes place next is the story that starts a prayer meeting and shakes a house just like what happened in Acts 2. Let me read it to you. This is what it said. Acts 4.24, and then we'll skip down a little bit. Acts 4.24 says this, after, upon, after they told their story, they all lifted up their voices to God in prayer. Literally, they told the story, and I'll tell you the story in a second, and they all started to pray when they heard the story. And let me tell you about the prayer meeting, which is Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Think of these words for a second. They come out of prison, 
tell the story of what happened, it inspires those people in that small group. They start to pray. The house is shaken. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they started speaking the word of God boldly from a God story. A God story that breaks atheism in a 12-year-old kid. A God story that literally gets a house to pray, shakes the house, fills, with the, fills them with the Holy Spirit, and boldness comes. Think about that for just a second. Because I kept thinking through that. Let me say this for a second. The first time the church prayed, Jesus commanded them in Acts chapter 1. But the second prayer meeting of the church didn't need a command to get them praying. They were inspired by a God story. They didn't need someone to go, you got to come to the prayer meeting. They go, this is what God can do. We want to get on our knees and start praying. See, that's the difference between commanded prayer and inspired prayer. Command may get me started, but the story, the inspiration keeps me praying. So when we tell the story, when you hear Pastor Carter, listen, if you didn't hear this morning's message, listen to the message where Pastor Carter tells the story of God speaking to him to go talk to one of the meanest policemen in all of the force and what God did, not only there, saves him. A man who was about to commit suicide, who is now doing prison ministry today. That inspires me to go, I want to hear the voice of God. That's what those stories do. Think about what the story was. They come to the house, and I think the story that Peter and John would kind of go like this. I can imagine them coming back, and they go, where were you? And Peter and John said, well, we were going to the prayer meeting, Acts 3, and that same guy you always see was always begging for money. Now, you New Yorkers know that. The same guy on 52nd, the same guy on 51st, the same guy that's there on Sundays. So they know this because the Bible says he's been sitting there since, since he was born. They've been putting him down there who is crippled from birth, who's been sitting there. And I could see them going, as they go, man, the same guy was sitting there was asking for money. And I could see them going, that guy is always there. Yeah, I know. And he, he came up to us and asked us for money. Well, what did you tell them? You didn't give him any money because this guy, you know he's going to use it for drugs. And they said, well, we didn't have any money. So then what did you do? Well, we told them something else. Well, what did you say? We said, um, get up and walk in Jesus' name. And I could see them going, you did it. We did. Well, what happened? He got up. Well, like up? He goes, no. He started jumping and leaping and praising God. And I could see them going, no way. No, you did not say that. And, and, and I could see them going like, yeah. And, and like at that moment, we didn't know what to do. So we started preaching. Preaching, yeah. And 5,000 people got born again. Wait. You're walking to the prayer meeting. The same beggar who's always there, going to use it for drugs, is now standing, jumping, and then you preach? Then what happened? The cops came. Well, what did they do? Took us to jail? Jail? And then what did they tell you in jail? We can't speak anymore. Well, what did you do? Well, it happened again. I, I, I opened up my mouth and... 
I said, well, we can't do that. Um, we ought to, I said, we ought to obey God rather than men. You didn't say, I said that. <laughs> then what did they do? Beat us. <laughs> can, can you imagine? They, they, listen to what it says in Acts 4, 18. And when they summoned them, Peter and John, they commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Listen to what Peter says on this day. Peter and John answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed or rather God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't stop. There is an old preacher that passed away some years ago, pastored the Mount Zion Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. His name is Dr. E.V. Hill. Dr. Hill preached the message I read some years ago called the can't help it condition. From Acts chapter 4. Let me just read what Dr. Hill said. He said the leaders in Acts 4 pulled Peter and John aside and said to them that they can't preach in that name anymore. Listen to what he said. Peter stood up and said we have a condition that prohibits us from obeying you. It's called the I can't help it condition. He says we couldn't stop it if we wanted to. We couldn't stop it in spite of your threats because we're not spectators of Jesus. We are participators and it's not something we turn off and turn on based upon church on Sunday. And then he said, basically they said, you have to do what you've got to do and we're going to do what we got to do, but we got can't help it all over us. We were with Jesus when he turned the water into wine. We we were with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of a tomb and we were with Jesus when he gave sight to the blind so the church today needs a big helping of a I can't help it I've got to talk about Jesus and who he is today some of us in here need that when we're led in worship I can't help it I've got to lift my hands I can't help it I've got to sing I can't help it I've got to shout I can't help it I've got to pray and right after that that story inspires a prayer meeting a prayer meeting that shakes a house that begins to send the power of the Holy Spirit and brings boldness I read an article a couple of weeks ago called The Curse of the Selfie Generation. If you want to know if you're part of the selfie generation, let us look at your photos <laughs> on your phone because you're the ones who's... <laughs> you know who you are. You're driving, you're posting you. And here's what the article said that blew me away. It said, the problem is not a millennial problem. That's from 7 to 70 are taking pictures of themselves. And he says, here is the bigger issue of the selfie generation. Listen to this. He says, it's not just selfie pics, but now they're involved with selfie conversations. 
He says there's an obsession with self. The only story people know today is their own story because they don't ask anybody else their story. He says people don't know how to hear other people's stories because they're so busy talking about themselves, never asking questions, and hearing, hearing the stories that possibly could shake a room. So no, isn't, no one is inspired anymore. In too many cases, conversations or become talking about ourselves to another person, which is really no conversation at all. And we miss the God story of what's happening in other people's lives. Man, that's why I today just want to challenge you with three quick things today that literally is the very thing that can happen when we're not here on Tuesday nights to pray with 206 nations. When Pastor Carter or any of the pastors are leading us, I want to challenge you because that story that they told inspired a prayer meeting and inspired people to pray. It brought the presence of God. What do you mean, Pastor Tim, by a story? I'm, it's, it's, you, know the, you know the plot. It's a, the situation is impossible. I don't have a chance. God shows up. That's the story. The situation is impossible. I don't have a chance. And God shows up. So let me... Let me be as simple as I can to help you and give you an on-ramp for telling stories, for sharing with your kids, for sharing with a coworker, for sharing with somebody that, that, that you know, a parent, a grandparent, but learning to tell. You know what I just, I, it's just so simple. Let me just give it to you. I'm, I'm just so simple in, in things because when I heard that, when I read this in Acts 4, I'm going, God, Man, I need to tell my kids more of what God has done. I want my friends to know it. I said, if it can, if it can unlock the door for a 12-year-old atheist, if it can start a prayer meeting in Acts 4, what could telling God stories do all over New York City? So you know the first challenge I would just tell you is tell a story. Tell anybody's story. Tell Pastor Carter's story. Tell Brother Dave's story. Just tell. It doesn't even have to be your story. Because when you think of history... History, as someone defined it, is not just history, it's his story. It's what God has done in people's lives. It's, it's telling someone's God story that literally can inspire other people. I, I was reading the story. Let me tell you a story. He was a missionary. His name was John G. Patton, and he was a missionary before the turn of the century into Papua New Guinea. At that time, that nation was run over by by a very violent tribe of cannibals, but felt, John G. Payton felt that he was to bring his wife and his children there to this island to preach the gospel. And in his biography, he said, they weren't there long when literally the, the indigenous people were so angry with the message of the gospel that it was beginning to upset everybody that what they did was this. They got all the tribesmen together and they surrounded Payton's house and they said, we are going to kill him and his children on this night. They said, we're going to kill them all. And he said, they surrounded the house, over a hundred of them, with torches and machetes. And John G. Payton writes in his biography, he says, the only thing we do is to say, God, you brought us here. They fell on their knees to pray. And as the night went through, they heard the screaming. They heard the howling. But never did anybody come near their house. Nobody came near their house. And they all dispersed and left that day. Miraculously, weeks later, the tribal chief becomes born again. And John G. Payton asks him about that night. He says, you were there. We were on our knees. 
We said, God, this is it. What happened? How come you never came? They said, how could we? You had hundreds of men with white robes and swords surrounding your house. We couldn't. We were waiting for them to leave, but they never left. Let me help you. God has some angels. God has protection that God goes, I'll protect my people. That's the story. Think about this for just a second. Pastor Tim, where do you get stories? Ask people. Don't take selfies. Ask people. See, tell me about this. Ask, listen to Pastor Carter. Listen to Pastor Patrick and Pastor David. Listen at six o'clock the stories that are coming from this pulpit on how God saves people. Let them inspire. Let them inflame you. Let them touch you. Learn to ask people questions. Hey, have you ever seen an angel? How did you become born again? Ask them, how did they start coming to this church? Listen to other people's stories. It's amazing what you'll find out. Ask my wife if she ever saw an angel. She's got a story. She has been saved for two weeks. We lived in Detroit. We weren't married at the time, but she just became a Christian. She went to a conference downtown Detroit, and she was working at the bank, but her car was over a mile away, and she was in a difficult part of town. And my wife, who is a banker, I mean, she is dot the I's, cross the T's. I'm just telling you, this, for this to happen to her was, was miraculous. She said she was, got out of this conference. She was walking to her car in a very bad area, and she saw a man coming to her. And she said, Tim, she told me the next day, she said, I didn't feel, I didn't feel fear. She said, I, felt, I just felt a little comfort. And the man came up to me and goes, ma'am, where are you going? She goes, well, my car is down there. I'm just a little nervous. He said, well, let me walk with you. I'll walk you to your car. She said, as I walked, I felt more comforted. She said, as we walked through the darkest parts of Detroit, we got to my car, I got in, and when I went to thank him, he was gone. Let me just tell you something. If you don't have a story, tell that story. Tell a story. Tell a God story, because God does great things. Pastor Carter will lend you his stories. I'll lend you Cindy's story. Just tell a story. But some of you, listen, I want to challenge you. Number two, tell your story. You've got a story. We, we call that in church a testimony. One of the old church mothers at our Detroit church used to say this, no test, no testimony. You know how you get a testimony? You go through a test. You go through the moment that God begins to come through and testimonies are born out of tough times and these stories listen to me folks have devil defeating ability revelation 12 11 says they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony blood of the lamb a word of their testimony it's not a biography a biography ends with you and everybody clapping a testimony ends with God and everybody going God exists God is able to do great things let me tell you my story for a moment this is my story you can use this one too my 14 year old Gracie came in my where I was studying, I was just reading, I was just preparing, and, I, and she came in just sit down, it was our four and a half minutes that week, 
So she comes in and she's sitting there. And we're just, we're just chatting. She looked at, and I have right on a wall, a blank wall, and one giant picture of a pornography theater before it turned into a church. It's where God called us to go to in Detroit. And I have that up there to show God can take a triple X theater and turn it into a church. And I remember Gracie, my fortune, just two weeks ago, she looked and she goes, tell me the story of that dad. Why do you keep that up there? I said, Gracie, look in the corner up there on that picture. I said, do you see that eight story hotel connected to the triple X theater that eventually became the church? She said, yeah. I said, that eight story hotel was a crack hotel. I want to tell you the night that a prostitute like Rahab saved our church. And so we sat there and I said, that crack hotel had a number of people that weren't paying their drug bill. And one night, a group of men came over with cocktail bombs, alcohol with a, with a, with a rag. And he said, and they, I said, they threw them at the building and literally burned the building down, burned the entire block down on a January night. It was so cold in Detroit that they took them three days to put out the fire because the fire hydrants were freezing with a wind chill below zero. I said, they couldn't even put it out. I said, and here was the miracle, two miracles, Gracie. I said, let me tell you what God is able to do. And I said, Gracie, this is not just my story. This is our story. I said, then they turned around and came to the church and we're going to firebomb the church. And I said, on that night, a prostitute named Kamuchi stood in front of the theater and said, this is my church. You can't throw those there. And he said, and those men stood there. She told me the story. Those men stood there and were about to throw it and left. And I'm going to tell you, that Kamuchi, that girl, that little 90-pound prostitute was the theater prostitute who eventually came to Jesus, died of AIDS, and I'll never, and all I thought about when we talked the last time on the phone, I said, there is coming a day and I can't wait to see Jesus in heaven and my dad, but there is a 90 pound prostitute that I can't wait to see up there. A girl that sold her body in that theater for 20 years that I thought to myself on a night you weren't even saved yet. You're blocking the place that you're eventually going to become a Christian in. And I said, Gracie, here's what's a miracle. The whole block burned to the ground and the church still stood there. The insurance company, the insurance company sent us $7,000 to get the smoke out of our sanctuary. We walked in and folks, I am telling you, I felt like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. There wasn't a smell of smoke in the sanctuary. There wasn't anything. In, they said, you can have this money to clean the seats. We took that check, and it's probably the greatest miracle insurance company in history. We sent the check back, and we said, God protected us. Daniel chapter 3. Why? Because God does those kind of things. He protects. He directs. And our God instructs us. Tell a story. Tell your story. And let me finish with this. Tell the story. That's called the gospel. There is no greater story 
There's not an angel story. There's not a prostitute Rahab Kamuchi story that is better than the story, which is the good news and how much God loves every single one of us. It's the gospel. It's good news. It's the story, story we need to become familiar with and tell it a whole bunch whenever we have a chance. It's the story that God is in heaven and he wants humanity to live with him forever. But man can't because of the condition and the disease that he has called sin. And God realizes since sin can't exist in heaven, God has a dilemma. The one that I love, the people that I love have a condition that I can't stand and I hate called sin. So God has to come up with a plan. And God figured out a way to fix the disease. Pastor Teresa talked about that with the communion that we just celebrated. That was the plan. That was the plan. That's why I love that phrase that I'm going to use everywhere I go. The bungee cord that keeps bringing us back and saying, that's the story. That as soon as we get out there, time to swear church and think it's all us, the bungee brings us back and goes, no, 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 it's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. That's the answer to the problem. That's the story. That God thought that instead of, because someone has to die for sin, instead of man dying, if man died, he'd be sent to hell. But God goes, I have another plan. I'll send my son to die. But he has the power over death that when he dies, he doesn't stay dead. He rises again. But let, let me explain it like this to you. And this is what closes. Musicians come. Let me tell a story to make you understand the story. Okay? Um, Billy Graham wrote when he first became an evangelist, the calling of God upon the great Billy Graham, his life. He said he was preaching and just going from little town to little town preaching in North Carolina. And he said that these little towns, as he would go and preach for two nights, three nights, and people would get saved. He was going through these back roads. And he said, as he was going through the back roads, he didn't see the speed limit. And all of a sudden gets pulled over by a police policeman for speeding. 20, 30 miles over the speed limit. And at that time, Billy Graham said it was in the 50s, that you, they take you immediately to the courthouse and you gotta pay, you gotta pay the fine. There was no, I'll mail it in. There was none of that stuff. This is we're, this is kind of more Andy Griffith. So he gets picked up. And the cop goes, follow me. We're going to go to the courthouse and talk to the sheriff of small North Carolina town. So Billy Graham gets in there and the greatest thing happened. He walks in and the sheriff goes, Billy Graham, who's the judge at that point also. The sheriff is the judge. He goes, Billy Graham, I was at your meeting last night. My, my, my brother came. He became born again. And he said, this is fantastic. He said, I just have to thank you. This is, this is the judge. And Billy, Graham, Billy Graham's thinking, oh, man, thank God. <laughs> and the judge goes, what's, no, officer, what's the problem? He goes, he was speeding. He goes, oh, Billy. <laughs> he goes, how many going? He goes, 30 miles over. So he looked at it, and he goes, and so he just goes, that's true. He just goes, huh. guilty, 100 bucks. 
Billy Graham's going, wait, I just led your whole family to Christ. And, and he goes, hundred And Billy goes, I don't, I, I can't. He goes, pay, you got to pay the, the, the cook. So Billy's going, I don't have a credit card. I have nothing. So Billy Graham is just about to walk up to give whatever he has. He's hoping like negotiations or something. He was just going to give the final money he has. And just before he pulls his wallet out, he feels a hand on his shoulder. The judge got off the bench, pulled his coat off, and he said, up there, I'm the judge. He says, but when it comes time to pay the debt, I'm the savior. He says, I'll pay what you're unable to pay. He says, you are guilty, but you don't have the hundred bucks to pay it. Guess what, Reverend Graham? I got your hundred bucks. I got you covered on this. Folks, let me tell you something. 2,000 years ago, we had a judge in heaven go guilty. And then all of a sudden, he pulled off his robes, came down to this planet as a little baby, and said, you can't get to heaven with your good works. You can't get to heaven by just going to church, and you can't go to heaven by being a good person. You don't even have the hundred bucks to get you to heaven, but you got a Savior that paid the price for you that says, I can get you to where you can't go. Let me tell you something. That's the story. That's the story that changes all our lives. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. Hallelujah. That's the story. A story starts a prayer meeting, shakes a house. A story inspires the 12-year-old atheist and pulls that locked door off the hinges. And some of you here today heard the story. And it's the story that I have to tell you that changes everything. It's the story that can become your story today. Today. The miracle is this. God loves you so much. You are here today to hear these God stories to understand that there's nobody in this place that has enough good works, enough good intentions, enough church attendance, enough of religion to get us to heaven. But God took his robes off, came down and died for us and said, I want you to live with me forever. And this is what the Bible tells us in John 3, 3. Jesus said, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless, listen to me close, this is Jesus, unless they're born again. Born again is not a Times Square church word. It's not a Protestant, a Catholic word. It's a Jesus word. It's Jesus that says you have to be born again. Pastor Tim, what does that mean? Just as you had a first birth, but whether you were born in Queens or New Jersey or Connecticut, just as you were born the first time, Jesus says you need a second birth. This is something that happens spiritually. This is where God begins to come and change you from the inside out. That's called the second birth, being born again. Just as you were born and have a birth date, today can be your second birth date. Today, your life can change. Pastor Tim, how does that happen? I tell people all the time, it's as simple as ABC. It's A, admitting 
in a sense, I don't have the hundred bucks. It's admitting I'm a sinner. I, I, I broke the law, but I can't, I don't, I don't have what it takes. And people are here trying to go, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to make promises. I'm going to, let me just say something. There's not a promise, a program that can fix you. There's not a priest or a pastor. There's not a rabbi that can change you. There's not a church that can change you. Only Jesus can change you. I wish we could change you. It's impossible. We needed to be born again. And it's the, the next comes in. How do I do that, Pastor Tim? That's the B word. Believe. Believe that Jesus came and paid the sin debt for me that I couldn't pay. I didn't have the hundred bucks. That he loved me so much that he would live a life that I couldn't live. Die a death I should have died and gave me a reward called heaven and forgiveness I don't even deserve. And you're telling me, Pastor Tim, that the journey starts by realizing I'm a sinner. There's a broken piece inside of every one of us called sin. Jesus came to die for that sin, to give me forgiveness, and then see, confessing him as Lord. Listen to me close, because that last one is just as important. Jesus did not come 2,000 years ago to get you to sit in church for an hour on Sunday. He didn't come to start a religion. Jesus came to have a relationship with you. Not to be with you on Sunday, but to be with you every single day. When you call him Lord, you're saying you're the boss now. Not just boss for two hours on Sunday. You're the boss every day. And today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question you can hear today. Because this is the story. Listen to me, Times Square Church. This is it. The story. You may be sitting here today. Someone may have invited you. Maybe you've been sitting here for weeks or maybe even months. But the most important question I can ask you is, have you been born again? And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, man, I want to make that decision. I want to be born again. I want to take that next step. But I'm not perfect. Exactly. You don't get good and come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he makes you good. That's what the gospel is. While you're trying to get cleaned up, it's impossible. God loves you. He wants to change you. That's the story. But it starts with the inside out. And today, that's the story. It started a prayer meeting, shook a house, and maybe today it's going to begin to do something inside of your heart. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask this question. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want to be born again. I want to take that journey. I want my life to be changed from the inside out. I want to be able to say today, I am forgiven. I want a relationship with Jesus. And I know when I die, I'm going to heaven. If that's you today, I just told you the story. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, I want to be part of that. I want to, I want, I want to take that next step. Wherever you're at, balcony, main floor, if you say, man, I, I want to start that journey today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me just ask you this. No hesitation. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right now. Hold it up high. Hold it up as high as you can because I want to see every hand that's up. Keep them up. Keep them up high. I want to make sure. Balcony, main floor, keep them up because this is the most important decision that you can make today. That's fantastic. Here's what I want you to do because you're going to have a lot of people cheering you on. If you've raised your hand or you're maybe you were a little nervous and said, I should have raised it. 
If you raise your hand, here's what I want you to do. And don't, you have to be embarrassed. You're gonna have a lot of people excited for what you're about to do here today. If that's you and you raise your hand, would you just stand to your feet right now, quickly, all over this place. Just stand to your feet, because our folks are gonna begin to get all excited about what's about to happen. Come on, just stand up, over there, over there, in the balcony. And here's what I want you to do. This is so important. This is what makes, if that's you, Here's what I want you to do, and we're going to rejoice. If you're standing, I want you to come because I want you to pray for you right now. Quickly, balcony, come on down. Can we thank God for them as they're coming down? I want us to pray. Quickly, balcony, come on. I see you. Come on down. This is going to be a special day of God doing something deep in your life. Hey, would you all stand to help them get out of those seats? Come on, let's all stand. And come on, let's thank God one more time as they're beginning to come down. These precious ladies, these precious young people. I'm so excited. Come on, you make your way down. This is going to be a great day. Hallelujah. Those that are standing here today, can I, can I say something to you? As much as we clap for the songs, as much as we clap at certain God stories, let me tell you something. Nothing out rejoices heaven when a sinner comes home and repents of their sin. This heaven is rejoicing with all of you tonight. The, the 15 or 20, this, my heart is excited because this is a night that God's going, I love you. I love you. I love you. Here's what I want us to do tonight. I, we're all going to pray this together. All of us here, you're not going to be praying alone. We're all in this together. Can we all pray this out loud? Come on, let's all do this together, church. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me. So I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say this with me now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my Helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's all say amen.